The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Good morning, as we start a new series through the book of Philemon. And so we're going to be in here for like 30 weeks because it's a really long book. All right, it's a really short book. If you looked, it's like it's a page long in mine, just over. Um, but for the next, uh, t- this week and next week, we're going to walk through this and see what God has to reveal from his word uh, from this letter. And uh, it's a great time to kind of go into this series and look at this epistle, this letter uh, coming on the end of Colossians. Uh, as, as Blair alluded to last week, there's, there's, there's some reference to some people that are going to be important. And one of those was the guy, uh, his name is Tychicus, or Tychicus, I, I don't know how to spell it right, say it right, but I think it's Tychicus. And um, he, he was sent out, as we remember, he was sent to bring some letters to the church at Colossae. He was the one who delivered that. Maybe Ephesians, we're not sure. Uh, there's a letter to Laodicea that we, we don't have, unfortunately. I, I can't wait to uh, get in the presence of the Lord and see what that one had to say. And, and then we believe that this letter to Philemon was in that package, right? That, that uh, as they went as messengers, not just mail carriers, but messengers bringing uh, kind of the, the emotion and context of, of how this was written uh, as they brought it to the church there. Um, but this letter, uh, it was written uh, probably in, in Paul's imprisonment in Rome around 62 AD. And like I said, it kind of went along with those other ones. And Tychicus and a guy named Onesimus were sent out uh, to deliver this. And we'll talk more about Onesimus next week. But what we need to know for context is that this is a personal letter. Now, there are some other ones that were uh, t- sent to guys like Timothy and Titus, but they were more epistles for uh, leadership. They were teaching and training and leadership. And this is a very personal matter. Uh, Paul has sent this to a guy named Philemon. Um, he is uh, probably wealthy. Uh, we know that. The, the church is meeting in his home, so he is probably pretty prominent in the church in Colossae. In fact, uh, uh, church tradition, this is extra biblical, but church tradition has him uh, becoming the bishop of Colossae. And so uh, we, we know that this guy's a pretty important person in the church there. But this is a personal appeal uh, to this man. And, and so he is, uh, it, and it's a, it's a personal letter, but we have it today uh, because there's some hints in there where, where when he's talking about you and your, he actually uses the plural to, to say that it would probably be read in front of the whole church, right? And so uh, think, think about that, having a personal letter to you read in front of the whole church. Like, you kind of feel the weight of that. But um, there's some awesome stuff coming in in, in, in this next two, day, two weeks of this. But what we're going to kind of focus on is the idea that uh, this whole book talks about unity, what I would like to say oneness. And that's why we titled it One. 
Now, there's, there's an aspect of this that is about reconciliation, and, and that is a good and right teaching for this. But I want to expand that out and, and kind of uh, broaden why we can have that reconciliation as we go through this. And that is because of our unity in Christ. Our unity in Christ drives everything that we do in the body Right? And so uh, that is why this week we're going to really focus in on that unity, that oneness in Christ. And so uh, if you're taking notes, I hope that you are, uh, whether that's on a device or old school. Uh, if you're taking notes, this is our main point. This is what I want you to walk away with. This is what I want you to, to grab hold of and, and look at in your life is that disciples of Christ are made one in Christ. And that might be very obvious to some of us, and that might be something that we're like, hmm. But our, our disciples of Christ are made one in Christ. And before we can jump into the text, I want to kind of put some meat on that, the idea of discipleship or, or what a disciple is. And if you've been to step two here, uh, you, you've heard this, hopefully. And if you uh, have looked around, you might have seen this, but what, what we say, just to make it easy and we can wrap our hands around, uh, a disciple is somebody who worships Christ, walks with Christ, and works for Christ. And so uh, part of what we're doing this morning, our, our main focus is that worship of Christ, that, that vertical orientation. Um, and, and we're singing to him, and, and we're giving, and we're praying, and we're opening up God's word, and these are all forms of worship and this should be driven by a lifestyle of worship that carries on throughout the week, right? That we want our, our words and deeds to be pleasing to God, to glorify Him, because He deserves that glory and majesty. And so uh, we know that they worship Christ. And what we're going to talk about mostly this week is, is that a disciple walks with Christ. And, and this is really, so we have that that corporate gathering time where we're worshiping. We have that personal time of worship in our lives. But when we're talking about walking, we're really talking about doing that in community, right? We're, we're in this body. We're, we're together with other believers. And so we walk with Christ. And we're going to dig into that a little bit more. And then we work for Christ. We serve. We, we, we minister to God and to God's people to give him glory. And then to a, a a dark and dying world. And we're able to do those things. We're, we're able to provide those things. And all of it is for spiritual growth and health. Right? And so um, with that, we, we kind of know what a disciple is. And we know that we are made one in Christ. And that was only through the redeeming work that he did. Right? His work on the cross, his perfect life without sin and his death to uh, take the punishment that we were due was that unifying thing that made it possible for us to be redeemed, that we are beloved, that we are one with him and with each other as the body. And with that, we're going to jump in. I'm going to read through our whole passage today, all seven verses of it, um, and, and then we're going to talk about it. So, uh, if you will, open up Philemon, uh, verse 1, and go along with me. And it says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church 
in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And this is God's word for God's people. Now, when I read this, I don't know about you, but it's kind of like last week's message. I tend to kind of blow over those greetings and not really dig in. And, and the endings where it's, it's like, oh, yeah, he's got some guys with him. That's awesome. And as we saw last week, like, there's so much more to it. And as we're going to look at this week, even in this short seven verses, there, there's a lot there. And so we're going to look at the first three verses and, and how this uh, shows our oneness through identity in Christ. Our oneness through identity in Christ. And so... There are a bunch of identity statements in these first three verses. And we might not see them, but they are identity statements. Paul says he's a prisoner. He identifies Timothy as a brother and Aphia as a sister. We've got Philemon as actually beloved and a fellow worker. And then Archippus as a fellow soldier and the church. And these are identity statements. These are uh, saying this is who they are. Now, we have to, to look at that because identity is huge. And the reason that these identity statements are important is because of that first line where Paul qualifies that identity. He says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And so, those identity statements that he lists, a prisoner, brother, sister, beloved, fellow worker, fellow soldier, the church, these are all identity statements in Christ. Now, when, when we think of identity, we might not uh, think about this in the forefront, but it's always ongoing in our lives, right? Um, so when I think of my identity, I can run through a whole list of stuff, right? Um, I am a husband to Terry. I'm a father to my children. Uh, before I was saved, and I was saved later in my life, if you asked me who I was, I would say I was a soldier. And so a after uh, spending a majority of my uh, adult life in, in the Army, um, that, was, that was my identity. That was who I was. And then when I got saved, I realized that, that that's not who I am. That, that I'm, I'm so much more because I am a redeemed, beloved child of God. So uh, when we think of this, a lot of times we let other things identify who we are. Whether that is our circumstances, our relationships. Uh, sometimes we're looking for uh, recognition in our job, a title, a status. Uh, some of these things, and, and we wear those as our identity. And some of them are very good. Like I said, husband, father, uh, pastor, these are great things. But, but they can't be the top thing, right? Our identity has to be rooted in our oneness 
in Christ. This has to be our foremost identity. And the problem is that the world tries to place a bunch of other labels on us. Right? Even as we look at, at Paul's identity, Paul was a very uh, high-status Jew before Jesus literally knocked him off his high horse. Came along and showed him that that isn't who you are. Right? He was, uh, in, in fact, I'm going to jump over to Philippians 3. And starting in verse 3, I'm going to read some things that are statements of his identity before Christ. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, the glory and glory in Jesus Christ, and put no confidence in the flesh, those things that we used to have our identity in. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks they have reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. So he's saying in, in his culture, those were things that were important. Those were identities. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, Pharisee, religious identity, right? These are, these are the ones that everybody looked up to. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He, he's doing all the right things. And, and everybody looks on him from the outside and says, this is his identity. But in verse 7, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And all those identities start to fall away. And they're not important as we look at our true identity as beloved, redeemed sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so what I like to do is, is think of these as, as a lens, right? Um, so recently had to start wearing glasses, and I'm having to wear them more and more. And I, the first time I had gone to an eye doctor, and they put you behind that thing. And those with glasses know this, and those who've been through it. But if you haven't, maybe you've seen it on TV where they, they throw these lenses, and they're like, what's better, one or two? Yeah. Uh, they both blurry. One or two. What's better, one or two? And, and they keep doing this. And those are kind of like our, our identities that are horizontal, right? What, what's better? What, what am I looking through the world through that identity lens? And then finally, there's this one that everything becomes clear. And that's our identity in Christ. All of a sudden, we can look through that lens, and my identity as a husband now makes sense. Because before, I loved my wife, but I loved her in a selfish way. My love was transactional. And because of Christ's example of sacrificial love, now I can love my wife rightly. I can love and disciple my children because I can look to the example of Christ. I can love you guys because I was loved first. Because I've been given the example because my God is love. And therefore, now those things make sense. My relationships can be rightly laid straight. And so... We see this, and it's important that we have that identity because it is the thing that brings us together. Now, so we, we talked about Paul's identity 
previously. And then there's Timothy's identity. Timothy was half Jew and half Greek. And in that culture, uh, he would be considered a half-breed. It was a negative statement. They looked low at him. He was a low status compared to Paul. And here Paul is saying, he's my brother. We're on the same plane. We're, we're even. We're together. And then we see Philemon and his family, and they're from Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so culturally, language, uh, physical appearance, they're different. But they're all fellow workers, beloved, fellow soldiers, sisters, brothers. They're all even. Because of their identity is really rooted in one thing, and that is in Christ. Now I'm looking around, and I want you guys to just kind of glance around and look at this body of believers. We are here in unity because of Jesus. That is the one thing that brings us here. If it wasn't for Jesus... I would have never met you. I would have never been loved so much by you and be able to love you. I would have never had this true oneness because we're all different. We're coming from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic status, whatever it is. But we are one. And the world is trying to replicate this, but they're doing it wrong uh, through inclusion and diversity. But they're missing that single factor that makes Christ, as we are in Christ. That is our identity, and that is what we see Paul saying as he's laying out these statements. And so we don't want to miss that. We want to see that our oneness is in our identity in Christ. And then he goes on to talk to Philemon about love and faith. And so he says, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and your faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Right? He, so Paul knows this man. He, he was probably brought to faith by Paul at some point. But he's, he doesn't know this church. He hasn't been there yet. But he's hearing what what God is doing through Philemon. That this expression of love and faith is, is, is making an impact. It's doing things there. It's changing lives. The Lord is working through it. And so as we touched on a moment ago, that, that idea of love is not uh, what we we used to think of before understanding the love of God, the love of Christ in our life. He's talking about this love that is sacrificial. It first comes from a love of Christ and a love for Christ and then a love to his people. And, and we have to understand that, that those relationships are in that order. We have to love vertically right or else we can't get the horizontal right. And the horizontal starts with our believers, with, with the believers in our home, with the believers in our body, with the believers in the church globally. And then it goes out from there. Then it goes out to those who are lost. And, and, and we're showing them the love of Christ. That, that love 
is, is huge. And, and he's saying that it's towards Christ and then for all the saints, right? And then he moves into the idea of faith. And he says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So our faith is grounded in Christ. It's not in uh, traditions. It's not in a person other than Jesus. It's not in a, like a denomination or a network or any of those things. Our faith is in Christ. And, and when we have that grounding, we're able to then share our faith. Now, in this context, and it rarely happens, but the ESV, I don't like the translation of sharing. Because what it's really talking about, the definition of sharing here is that idea of participation. Participation in the faith. And this is really where we're talking about our oneness as we walk with Christ. Our walk is, is that uh, under Christ, we're our community aspect of our life, right? This community aspect permeates everything in our walk. And it starts, he, he's saying that he wants it to become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And so he, he's saying, like, you are doing well. He's already complimented him. He's, he's praying. He's saying, this is, these are good things that you're doing as you're demonstrating your faith. You're doing well, but I want you to continue to grow. I want you to continue to mature. And as we mature, those things that he's put in us, those good things, those gifts and talents, those, those areas that we're, we're gifted like mercy and grace, and, and, and some of us just have a heart to serve others, or teaching, or whatever those things are, as we come together, we start to see the fullness of that. And those gifts in us start to mature and bloom and blossom, and, and they become effective to those around us. And what it's really talking about as we participate in faith is fellowship. Now, fellowship, when we think about it, and, and we've talked about it a few times, it's not just hanging out. Hanging out is good. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy time together. But fellowship is really about the spiritual good of those worship together as we break bread, as we gather to talk about things of the Lord, to, to do the work of the kingdom. This is, is fellowship. Now, it's interesting that um, he, he's talking about this fellowship and this growth and maturity. And then he says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. His joy and his comfort is that this person that he had shared the gospel with, that he had seen come to faith, that is growing and maturing and using all that he has for the glory of God, his comfort and joy comes because 
of his work because he's refreshing those around him. Now, when I think of this, I, I do a quick heart check and, and I say, God, are the people that I come into contact with refreshed from our interaction? Are they refreshed from being with me? Are, are they filled up? I don't know, it, it's getting pretty hot and just that cold glass of water on a hot day is refreshing, right? It's filling you up. It's, it's getting you ready to do something else. And in this case, do community and do the work of the Lord. And so I ask myself that. Am, am I refreshing those around me? The other thing that stood out as I was reading through this, and it, it's an interesting thing, is, is he lists, Paul lists love and then faith. This is the only letter that he writes where those are in that order. Love and then faith. All of the other ones, it says faith and then love. Which theologically is, is right, right? When we get our faith, then we can love rightly. But there's, there's a very good reason that Paul has led with love here. And if you want to find out what that reason is, you're going to have to come back next week because that's when we're going to talk about it. <laughs> but but I, want, I want you to think about your walk. Right now, your walk, your personal and, and, and your walk in this community. And ask yourself, does love and faith mark my walk? Am I engaging in the fellowship that we're called to? Am, am I letting other things take priority? And it starts here on a Sunday. Like, praise God that we're here. Because there are so many things that distract us, that want to steal priority. And I always talk about, like, we need to know our priorities and our efforts, and they need to match up. If I say that God is first priority, then the things of God, the gathering with God's people, should have primary effort in my life. Right? And so, is that happening? What's this look like? There's a depth here that we need to use to examine our hearts. We use to look around. Is my identity in Christ really the filter that I see things through? Do all those other identities that have been put into my life, are, are, am I viewing them through? My identity is a redeemed, beloved son or daughter of the Most High God, as an adopted child, as a fellow brother and sister, a believer in a body of believers? Or do those other identities creep up? Do they take precedence? Those ones that, where the lens kind of gets blurry. And they can be good things or they can be bad things. A lot of us carry a lot of identity from our past that, that we need to lay down. 
things that we have done or been through that now mark us, right? Mistakes we've made, choices that were wrong and led us down wrong paths. Maybe I'm a recovering addict or an ex-con or I've been hurt and those identities stick with us. But can we lay those down and really see our life our oneness in Christ as our primary identity. Because if we can do that, then we can walk. And we can have that oneness in our walk really take to heart who we are. And then we got to live that out in fellowship, in community, with brothers and sisters who are dedicated to Christ. And then we say, does love and faith and fellowship mark that walk, that lifestyle? So we're going to take a minute and just ponder that as we get ready to close in a couple minutes. And I just, I want to, I want to let you think about this and say, how does this look in my life? And really think about it, like, because it's easy to say, yeah, I'm doing good. You know, I, I showed up for church. I'm good. But is my identity and my walk really driving everything in my life? And there's always room for growth. I'll tell you, if you think, hey, I'm good and I've made it. I've kind of plateaued. There's no more room for growth. You're in trouble. Like, there is always growth. Because we are called to be like Christ. And until I look like Christ, I can grow. So what does our walk look like in, in our home? What are some things we can do to in, in, enhance our walk? Some, some things that focus more on Christ. And I'll tell you, like, man, I go through times where we're doing good. Like we're having devotion and we're doing these things and I, I feel engaged. I'm discipling my children. I'm trying to wash my wife in the word. We're praying. And then there's times where like, it just drifts and all of a sudden I'm like, what happened? So I need to come back and I need to check and say, am I walking in oneness in my home? And then the gathering of the saints that I come here. Is this a priority? Because there's a lot of things, like I said, sports, there's you know, job stuff, there's travel, there's all these things that are good. It is coming and gathering with God's people on the Lord's Day, worshiping the one true and living God, the priority in my life. And what about uh, small groups? If you are not in a small group, you are missing so much of the community that God has provided to us. And, and I'll tell you, I was one of these guys, I was like, I don't need that. Like I was told, you know, it's a personal relationship with Christ. Yes, lived out in community. And if you've not been in a small group, you, you, you should look. There's some flyers out there. Go visit a small group. Like, get engaged because this is where that maturing happens. 
where he talks about becoming effective and the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This is where it happens. Like we can come together and it is good and right to come and worship. But discipleship, that discipleship that is based in growing in the knowledge of Jesus, it happens in small groups. And so I'll tell you, like if you're not, you need to get in there because you're missing out. You're missing on this oneness that we have in our walk with Christ. And you need to come here every week and make this a priority to, to orient our hearts vertically, to, to be able to worship rightly and set our minds and hearts so that we can go back out there and we can live in a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle where we are walking in Christ with others who are trying to do the same thing. And all we're doing is coming alongside. We call it mutual ministry here. Come alongside, shoulder to shoulder. Nobody higher up, nobody lower down, just like Paul and Timothy and all those, and Philemon. They're even. They're just walking towards Christ together, encouraging each other, exhorting each other to love and good deeds. So these are the things that we're called to. And so I ask you, what's this look like in your life? How's your oneness in Christ? Is your identity set in Christ? How's your walk with Christ? These are the things that matter. And that's what Paul's talking about to Philemon. So we're going to pray, and the worship team's going to come back up, and then we're going to continue to worship. Father, you are good and gracious. You are loving. And Lord, we're amazed as we look around at this body of believers that you brought us together are the only thing that brings us here. So we ask you, Lord, to help us to show those around us that, that unity, that oneness the love and faith and fellowship. Let it be a mark on our lives. Lord, we thank you that it is through the redeeming work of Christ that we're here at all. And so as we think of this picture of one in the body, we know that it is only because you are one. So we love you, Lord. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for redeeming us. We ask you to continue to grow us and mature us in our walk as we seek to give you the glory you're due. And we say we need you and we love you. As the name of our Lord that we pray. Amen.